Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Good morning. All right, so uh, Cody kicked us off in the Psalm series last week uh, in Psalm 42, and uh, he was looking at uh, Psalm 42 and, and developing this, uh, this heartfelt uh, desire or appetite for the things of God. And I loved it because it flows very naturally into where we're going right now, and that's once I have this desire for God, this, this appetite, how do I cultivate that relationship? And so the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at having a conversational relationship with God. And this is intimidating for a lot of us, all right? There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot that goes into just this prayer life that we just don't get. Sometimes we just feel like we're missing the conversation. And you may be feeling like you miss it because you just don't care. And if that's you, then you need to go watch Cody's talk from last week. Um, but a lot of us... A lot of us feel like we're, we're missing the conversation because we may not feel like the conversation's for us. We may not feel like this is really uh, an area that we, can, that we can really move into. Maybe we think it's for some elite class of Christian or uh, some hippie class of Christian or your senile grandmother who's always telling you about what God's doing in her life, right? But we're going to see today that this invitation is, is for all of us in here, uh, the other thing that, that makes us feel like we miss the conversation is we just don't know where to start. We don't know how to tune into the conversation. We don't know what that would look like or what to say or where to go. But do you know that there's, there's radio waves flowing through your body and your brain right now as we're speaking? In fact, your, your favorite song is probably playing right now in this room, but you can't pick it up because you don't have the right tool, right? Well, prayer is that tool that tunes us into the heart of God. It tunes us in, and then it starts to transform us into an extension or a broadcast of his voice. Jesus said, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because he doesn't speak in riddles. Dallas Willard says he's not a mumbling trickster. He speaks very clearly if, if you would just tune in to what he's saying. And that's what we're talking about today is having this, having this conversation, having this uh, conversational prayer life with God. Uh, and to do it, we're going to go into Psalm 19. Now, Psalm 19 is, is incredible. I love this psalm because it's all about God's voice. It's all about God speaking into the world. It's about God uh, continually revealing himself. And then it's about our response to it. And C.S. Lewis actually said that this is his favorite of all 150 Psalms. He said this one is his favorite. And he said, uh, he said that it may be one of the greatest lyrics of any song in history. And I know I'm setting this up way too much right now. I'm probably going to screw this all up now, right? But it's a great psalm. It's a great psalm. It's about God's voice. But there's a few things you need to know about the psalms before we really dive in. And one of them is that the Psalms are prayers. These, these are songs and prayers that train us in prayer. They're part of Israel's liturgy. So Israel was, was singing these and praying these. They are prayers that train us in how to pray. The other thing about the Psalms is this is not where we go primarily for information 
or for dogma or for theology. Okay, it's there, but the Psalms are not where you go primarily for that. This is, the Psalms are rich in metaphor and poetic speech. They're rich in it. They, they live and operate in a way with a kind of people that, that process their lives before God in a very raw and open and emotional way. They live in the realm of feelings and emotions, but listen, they are not governed by those feelings. They're not driven by those feelings. They still, while they operate in that realm of feelings and emotions, they're, they're not driven by them. They're still founded on the revelation and the truth of the rest of Scripture. So as we get into Psalm 19, David is, is writing this psalm like a kid who is just exploding with pride and amazement at what his dad is doing and, and continuing, what he's done and continuing to do in the world. He's just exploding with this, with this wonder at what's going on. Uh, and so the, the psalm naturally gets broken up into three distinct parts that continually move closer and closer to personal revelation. Starts very general and moves into this personal revelation and then into a response from David. Uh, David starts by saying the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the ends of the world. Now, the first thing that he's saying there, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The whole psalm, again, is about speech and it's about hearing. Those are the primary metaphors in this psalm. It's speech and it's hearing. It's tuning in, right? And, and he's, he's showing us something here that creation is actually uh, speaking to the creator. It's, it's actually uh, giving us a window into who created it. It's as if God's voice, when he spoke in, in Genesis 1, the, the word that he spoke to create the world, the universe, is now turning and speaking of the existence of God. What God spoke into existence is now speaking of his existence. And what we, we call that general revelation. General revelation is, um, it's, it's the revelation of God in nature. It's looking around at the, at the things that, that we see in the world and realizing that, uh, that it's, it's speaking of the existence of God. It looks way more like, like, a, like a great thought than like a happenstance mechanism, Right? That's what general revelation is telling us. So he says day to day is pouring forth this, this kind of speech. It's pouring out this, this knowledge of God. And night to night is revealing knowledge. The, the, the imagery here is, is like a, uh, in the Hebrew, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, uh, a brook that's bubbling over with, with what, it just can't contain it. It's just pouring it out. But then it's almost... It's almost abrupt here. You almost feel like you're getting contradictory statements because he says day-to-day -day pours forth speech, but now he's saying there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. 
He's not contradicting himself here. He's saying these, it's not as if the, the trees are giving you sign language trying to tell you who God is. It's not like you've got this, uh, the, the clouds spelling out God in the sky, right? It's more of a, more of a silent revelation. It's more of a silent revelation of, of an obvious reality that God is, is behind it. So he says their line, as if a line of text, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. Uh, one thing that really sticks out here in this first section is that art speaks of the artist. It lets you know that somebody made it, right? Somebody had to be behind this art. I, I went to, uh, to Europe a number of years ago. Uh, I think it was in 2000. And uh, I'm walking down the hall where the statue of David is. And as amazing as that statue is, I am more concerned with what's lining the hall going to the statue of David because they call it the Hall of Prisoners. It's absolutely incredible. I was so enamored by this because you have these, these stone sculptures that you start to see uh, elements of a, of a person. You start to see some definition, but you don't see the whole person. It looks as if these people are emerging out of rock. It is the coolest thing I think I've ever seen. It looks like they're just emerging out of the rock. And all I can think of is why did he not finish these? What is he wanting us to, to see in this? Why, what is he thinking? What is he wanting us to know? It's, it makes me think of the artist. When I'm watching a movie and I see a weird camera angle, uh, Dana could, could attest to this. You, you sit there and you, you go, okay, wait a minute. Uh, you know, you're thinking of the, of the director and you're thinking of the camera guys. You're thinking of what they're wanting you to see through the weird camera angle. When there's a song playing, uh, I, start to, I start to wonder if they use a weird lyric or if they use a weird tonal arrangement. What are they wanting me to feel in this? So art speaks to the artist. And we can't look, uh, we can't, let me tell you this, pagan cultures, pagan religions, uh, let's, let's say like Eastern religions and, and, and the occult, they're actually way better than we are at seeing the beauty in creation. They see it. I mean, they don't recognize it as creation, but they see the beauty in the universe around them. But the problem is they end up worshiping it because they, they stop at the art itself. They stop at the art and they don't see the artist. And so we can't do that. We can't stop at, at good art and just appreciate it for what it is. We have to look past it to the artist. But then on the other hand, you can't, you can't do the opposite thing where you're just trying to get to God and think these ethereal thoughts about God that are out in the middle of nowhere and not be grounded in revelation he's already given you. Right? He's given you something to see a part of who he is. So you can't stop at the art and not get to the artist, but you can't bypass it either. Art speaks to the artist. Uh, let me ask you this. What if the art was partly for you? If the art is even partly for you, if, if the idea for general revelation is that it's declaring the glory of God, but then... It's kickstarting our hearts to come search for him, to find out who it is, 
behind it. If art, if, if, if this art is even partly for you, that makes general revelation so much more personal already. General revelation starts to, starts to seem personal, almost like macaroni art from your kid. And that's not even good. That's not even good art. It's not even probably made by somebody that's not even potty trained yet. It's not even good, but it's personal. And it's made for you. And that starts to make every flower burst with glory. Because you, when it pops up in your flower bed, or when you start to see it on the countryside, then it's, it's as if a spouse picked a bouquet specifically for you and said, I'm still pursuing you. Whenever, whenever you see cloud shapes in the sky, it's like a message written in refrigerator magnets saying, I'm thinking of you today. It becomes personal. It becomes personal. General revelation becomes personal in that way. Uh, it tells us that there's a God and it pulls our hearts in search for him. So the first step of becoming aware of God's presence is simply this, become aware. Look for him everywhere. We have to look for him everywhere in everything. We've got to see what he meant for us to see in this art. David uses an example of, uh, of the sun. He starts to move from uh, the universe in general and he takes a piece of, of creation that uh, that we take for granted. He's saying, in them, in the heavens, he's placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the universal nature of the revelation because when he starts here, he's, he's, he's using this bridegroom image. And in this bridegroom image, it's in this culture, if you were to have a wedding, the entire village would come out to it. And if you didn't come out to the, to the wedding, then it's because you're holding something against the person getting married. So he's saying this is something that between using the sun and using this bridegroom imagery, it's something that no one can escape. Everyone sees it. There is a universal nature to this type of revelation. He says it's, it's like a strong man. It rejoices like a strong man to run its course. Uh, the, the imagery here is kind of hard to, to translate. It's, it's one of two things. It's either an athlete who is running a race or it's a warrior with a bloodthirst ready to burst onto the battlefield. But either way, whichever imagery that, that it is, they're both saying the same thing, that I, it, it's bursting onto the scene. It is, is bursting in and invading our lives. And it's inescapable. Uh, the, the mixed metaphor here is interesting too. We're looking at words, we're looking at speeches, but the, the mixed metaphor of, of sound and light Right? Because with the sun, nothing's escaping its heat. Right? No one can escape the sun. Nothing can escape its heat. But this, this mixed metaphor of, of sound and sight is they're metaphors for the same thing. And that's an acute awareness 
of the presence of God, an acute awareness of the work that he's doing. It's a, it's a beautiful image that, that, he, that he starts to give here. So David finishes this whole section by, by showing us something that, that we tend to take for granted all the time. And there's another part of looking for God everywhere. Okay, we look for him everywhere, but we also have to learn to bring him into everything. It's, it's, a, it's a double, there's, there's two parts to it. I not only look for God everywhere, but I have to learn to bring him into everything. Dallas Willard says, I'm going to just read this to you. This is too good to... Dallas Willard says, The obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. The ordinary is a receptacle for the divine. This is, what, this is what God has used to start letting his, his life and his grace flow is the very ordinary things of our life. So God wants your humdrum life. He, he wants your ordinary. He wants your, your hopes and your fears, all the things that you're rejoicing in. He wants every little piece of it. So the second part of look for him everywhere is bring him into everything. This is the second part of tuning in to the, to the voice of God. I have to look for him everywhere. I have to be tuned into what he's doing, but then I have, to, I have to bring him into all the parts of my life. Not just the Sunday morning, but the, the Monday lunch and the boring Tuesday meeting. I've got to bring him into every piece of this. One way that, that I've tried to do this um, is I'm, I'm weird and I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> I'm just weird, I'm sorry. And one thing that I started realizing is that, you know, I'm, I'm already talking through my problems. Why don't I just start addressing God and just talk through it out loud with him? And it, that's just been a small little way that, that I start to see uh, the, the small parts of my day, the unimportant parts of my day in a completely new light when I can start to see him brought into it. It's very refreshing. It's very eye-opening. Uh, but we're looking for the wonder in everything. We're looking for, uh, for God to reinvigorate us with the wonder that he has in creation. Uh, so another way that you could probably do this, I I'm, I'm, was just trying to think of some things that, that uh, could help during the day to kind of trigger you back. Uh, go for a walk during lunch. Go for a short walk and just, and just thank God for, for his creation. Put a five-minute reminder uh, put a reminder in your phone to, to pray for five minutes at, the, at the, the hardest part of your day where you start to seem more bogged down, where you know you're going to be just in the trenches and just completely have your blinders on. Put a little reminder in your phone for that part of the day to sit and just pray for five minutes and trigger your mind back to him, back to the things of God. So we're looking for him everywhere and we're bringing him into everything. Uh, you could memorize some scripture and take it with you through the day. That's another great way to just see how it applies in every little thing in your life. And that's where David goes next because David, David now moves into uh, special revelation, right? General revelation is, is where God is showing himself in, 
in the universe, but then special revelation is the way that, uh, that he speaks through his word. It's where revelation goes from, from more general to more personal, and he starts to speak to us. And David even makes this little trigger in here. He says, uh, he, he takes, let me show you this. He goes from, in the Hebrew, the, the word for God that he had been using up until this point is El, E-L. It's the general all-purpose name for God. Now he moves into all caps Lord, which is Yahweh. It's the personal name for God. This is, this is moving from the general, I know there's a God out there because this is all proclaiming him, to this, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to speak directly to you. And so he moves from El to Yahweh. And as he does, this is a movement from glory to grace. It's a movement from he's out there to he's there for me. Special revelation is it's the artist unveiling. It's where God starts to unveil himself and make himself known. But even more than that, he not only unveils himself and makes himself known, but he starts to come for you and starts to bring you into an intimate relationship where you will be fully known. It's a beautiful back and forth kind of relationship. He is making himself known and at the same time letting you know, I'm bringing you in so that you can be fully known here. And so David just starts listing off the effects of the law. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Scripture is where you start to see the trustworthiness of the artist. You start to see his trustworthiness. You start to see his character. And so one, one huge aspect about tuning into the voice of God is realizing that in Scripture we learn the character and the quality of His voice. If you want to see God working through your day-to-day life, you have to start, you have to start in, in Scripture learning His voice, learning the character and learning the quality of it. And then you start to test Whenever you, th- you think you're hearing from God, you start to test it by those standards because in Scripture, we learn the character and the quality of his voice. But more than that, it goes a step further. Not only are we learning about him, Scripture is illuminating stuff about us because just like how the sun, nothing escapes from its heat, the law of the Lord searches out the deepest parts of our soul and nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden from it. So we start to see the trustworthiness of the artist, but we start to see that we are untrustworthy. We start to see that we are not as we should be. Both things are happening in this. And so David sees it as so precious, so desirable. He says they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. 
sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. He sees here both, both a, a, a warning and a reward. There's both a warning to, I need to get to where I need to be. I, need to, I, I, I know I need to change after this. I know that I've been spoken to and that, and that something's got to change in me. And I see the reward. I see the reward there. He's seeing both things in Scripture. But as you see that we're not as we should be, you start to see that prayer is actually wrestling my heart into alignment with God. You're entering a divine wrestling match. It's the whole title of our series is Wrestling with God. We're not just... We're not just wrestling with him to get the things that we want. We're, we're wrestling our hearts into alignment with him. Entering into that divine wrestling match. And as you're wrestling with these truths, you start to realize that you're going to have to respond. God has spoken directly to you. And you start to realize, I can't keep silent. I have to say something. Because if we're, if we're in a setting like this, nobody expects you to respond right now. If we're in a setting where we have a big crowd like this, nobody expects you to respond. You might nod your head. You might, if it gets really crazy at Hillside, I might hear some amens. If it gets a little nuts. But nobody expects you to respond. You know that I can just kind of sink into the background here. You get into a classroom of 20 people. And then you're going to realize the teacher is probably going to call on me to, make, to answer one of these questions. Now, you can still hope to sink into the back of the class and hope that, you know, I, I don't have to respond to all of these, right? But there's more expectation to respond in a smaller setting. But then, and I'm going to pick on you again. I picked on the first service. I feel bad. If you get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation... You get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, and I'm talking to you, Sarah, and I am addressing you directly, then I expect you to respond, don't I? And even silence is a response. Even silence is a response when you are addressed directly. So David gets to this point where he realizes, I have to respond. I have been spoken to. I have been searched and known. I have got to respond. And look at the first part of his response. Or, well, this is, this is the point here. Prayer is a response to the God who seeks us. David says, who can discern his errors? This is his, this is his response. He, he realizes after he's been searched, who can even discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Just like the sun, nothing escapes from its heat. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Just like the law of the Lord, nothing escapes it because, because it's searching out the deepest parts of your soul. David realizes, I've been searched. I've been found out. Equip me of hidden faults because I don't even know what I'm capable of. I don't even know what I'm capable of. 
So he says, acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. And I love this prayer, this part of the prayer. Because he says, and we've been talking about words and speech the entire time. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And you see how he ends it? He ends it with my rock and my redeemer. He realizes there is nothing in me that can make my words acceptable before God. There's nothing in me that can do it. I need to be founded on the rock. I need to have, in order for the meditation of my heart to be pleasing, I have to have someone redeeming it. And so we see that prayer uncovers our need for salvation. Prayer uncovers our need singular. Because we come to God with a lot of needs, and that's good. He says to do that. We should come to God with our needs. But as you enter into this conversational relationship, you realize, I have one need. I have one need, and that is a Savior. I am in need constantly of being saved. Constantly, I am in need of being saved. So prayer uncovers our need for salvation. I love the way Paul talks about this. Paul actually quotes Psalm 19 in Romans 10. But before he gets there, he says this. What we've been talking all day, the, the word that's gone out. He says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The only way, again, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart can be acceptable before God is if the words of my mouth are declaring that he is my Lord, my Lord. That if my, my thoughts, my, the meditation of my heart realize that I am in constant need of a Savior and that he has the resurrection power to fill that need. Resurrection power that's unstoppable in the face of death and in the life that I'm living now. Now, you may, you may see the call, but you may still not think it's for you. You may still think it's just out of your reach. But Peter, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is, is, uh, comes at Pentecost and people are speaking in tongues and they're weirded out by it. They're even asking in the passage, are these people drunk? Like what's happening right now? He says, no, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. 
And it shall be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, all flesh. This is the universal invitation of the call. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. He's saying regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of class, this is available to you. I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. Not prophecy in the sense of telling the future. Paul said we're not all going to do that. Prophecy in the sense of speaking truth, becoming an extension of God's voice. Like we said with this radio, becoming an extension or a broadcast of his voice into the world, joining him in his work. And that's the last part of this is prayer transforms me into an extension of his voice. I want to close with going back to the sun metaphor. Because when we see it in this light, when we see it in the full light of the whole passage and in the full context of the rest of scripture, we see that the sun metaphor becomes a beautiful picture of Christ. Think about how Jesus burst onto the scene. How he he invaded the ordinary and the natural. Think of the bridegroom imagery. The way that he burst out of his tent, the, the sun burst out of his tent in order to come for the bride. Even the light in it, even the light in the imagery Jesus is the light that coming into the world enlightens every man. That's what John says of him. It also says that he is the word. We've been talking about words this whole time and speech and tuning in. It says that Jesus is the eternal word. He's the eternal logos. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. That's John 1. Jesus is the word that's spoken into the universe and into our lives. He is the word that we are tuning into. He says, my words are spirit and they are life. Who would not want to be part of that conversation? So, I don't want to do an entire message on hearing God's voice and responding without giving you a chance to respond. So the band is going to play, and I want you to take the time. I don't know what what spoke to you in God's word today. I don't know what that was, but you do. Maybe it was something about looking, looking for him everywhere. Maybe it was parts about wrestling my heart into alignment with him. Whatever it happens to be, we're going to take just a moment to, to respond to what he's saying today, and then I'll come back up and close.
In that same vein, we want you to have the freedom in this time to sing, to be still, to pray, to stand, however the Holy Spirit leads. Please respond in obedience.
I hope you start to tune in and, and figure out how can I tune into this conversation? Next week, we're going to look at some very practical aspects of this conversation. How does this actually look in my day-to-day life? How do I know that God is speaking to me? How do I know that he's guiding me and directing me? How do I know the will of God? We're going to be touching on those next week. And we're not going to be doing it in a very spiritual sounding way. I'm going to give you some some earthy stuff to take away next week. Let's pray and and, uh, we'll be dismissed. Jesus, thank you for uh, the way that you search us, the way that you know us. Thank you that you search our hearts, that you don't leave us in the dark, that you reveal yourself us into a relationship where we can be fully known. I pray that we would hear your call this week, that we would start to look for you everywhere and just tune in. God, we love you and we thank you. You said, seek my face. And my heart said, oh Lord, your face I shall seek. Help us to look for you this week, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Dismissed.